countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey! It is now time for more of the last comic shop! That's right, we are opening up the shop to newbies to help them find their way underneath the comic book tent. And we're leaving the lights on for the oldies who might have missed some stuff that's uh, aimed at the kids, but turns out it's good for everybody. Yeah! It is always nice when comic books end up like that. Right, Chad? When comic books kind of hit that sweet spot of, like, all ages where you're like, everybody from 6 to 60 can enjoy this book. That's when comic books are at its best, I think. Now, again, some people disagree with me. They say comic books are for different strokes for different folks, but I love me an all-ages book. That's what I was raised on. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And, of course, the all-ages book that we're going to be talking about today is in preparation for tomorrow's release on Disney+. Plus. Yes, we're talking about the first 11 issues and I think like a point one or something of Ms. Marvel. Yes, Kamala Khan. Woo! I mean, what do you say? Like on the debate of all ages versus comics for different folks and everything like that. What do you uh, think? J.A.? Um, I can see both sides, but I tend to be on, uh, you know, different horses for different courses. Chad? <laughs> I'm an old curmudgeon. I would love to see your mainline titles, like your Spider-Mans, your Avengers, your X-Men. Like, the main book, I think, should be an all-ages book. And then if you want to have things that span out there, that's when you give creators their own limited series and let them explore those deeper things. But I miss the days whenever I was a kid and I was able to go to a a drugstore. That's not where you buy drugs, kids. It was where you'd get medicine or candy or but I'd go to the rack and there'd be all these comic books that would be aimed you know at me or slightly older but enough that i could just pick up anything and not have to worry about it too much yeah no and i think that's something that dc tends to do a little bit better than marvel they'll have an all ages batman book but then they'll have that sort of uh more adult themed batman book or more adult themed wonder woman book um, yeah. Thinking back to uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth, for example, yeah. I don't think I would give that to uh, a teenager, though they might like it. Superman's skull and spine turned into a mace. <laughs> it's good times, good times. Speaking of which, Dead Earth, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson cleaning up with some Eisner uh, nominations this year. How about that? Good job. We love Daniel Warren Johnson on this show. So, like, kudos to you, sir, for pulling down some Eisner nominations this year. But, no, I I tend to agree with Chad. I My, my son went into a local comic book shop recently, and the first thing that he walked over to, and, he, and, and I recommended he pick up, is that Batman Superman World's Finest series that's out there. That Mark Wade knows how to write comic books that get you back to why you like those characters. And to have Batman and Superman together on a book like that, I thought it was perfect for all ages. Again, whether you were six or six. And the trick is, if you really want kids to care about comic books, you have to give them the real stuff. They can't feel like they're getting the the kiddie version. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, they can't feel like they're getting the Spidey super stories. Otherwise... It takes away the the fun. It takes away the mystique. And so, if we if we aim the majority, not everything, you can have the other stuff too. Like yeah. for the grown ups, like that's that's awesome. 
But uh, I, I just worry there's not enough for the kids out there these days. Right. It is a very large comic book tent, but you need that solid base. And comic books have always been at its base. It's something from like 8 to 16. That's your base. You get them, then you build from there. And so, yeah, you got you to gotta hook them when they're young. One thing that we like to hook every single week is, folks, to our Twitter account. One of the ways that we do that is by putting out our weekly polls. Yes, that's right. Uh, hopefully you know about our weekly polls by now, but every Wednesday, or J.A. Scott is nice enough to put out a weekly poll, which we uh, put out to our fan base, and we ask them to vote. Uh, and sometimes we like to come on these shows and do a poll recap. So right. Data uh, review! Data review! Kids love they, data! That's right, they do. They love comic books, they love data. And they also love J.A. Scott when he starts off with what? how, how many five, five polls we've got on this week's show, right? So, uh, first one, a bit of a throwaway poll because it's coincided with Amazing Fantasy, and I had no idea what to ask for that <laughs> batshit crazy comic book. So we had best sort of superhero vehicle, Batmobile, Invisible Jet, Fantastic Car, oh, and yes. the X-Men's Blackbird, which got uh, came in second place. Really? Yes. Here I was trying to get votes to go around the bathtub. I love that thing. I know that eventually they came out with a fantastic car that looked kind of weird or whatever, but like, I love the original bathtub fantastic car. Like, only Reed Richards would be like, this is completely utilitarian and looks like nothing that you would want to try. <laughs> That's the wrong answer. The right answer is so right that even like, as a dad, when I take my, my kid to the toys aisles, I'm like, oh, look at this. And he looks at me, he's like, dad. You already have like 35 Batmobiles. Do you really need another Batmobile? And the answer is <laughs> yes. I need all the Batmobiles because it's the best. Wow. And was that was the eventual winner, right, J.A.? Like in a landslide. By a, in a landslide. 62% of the vote. Oh, yes. Get the Superpowers Batmobile. Get the old Batman TV show Batmobile. Get the Tim Burton one with the cocoon. So the only real Batmobile is the first Tim Burton Batman movie Batmobile. That's everything else pales in comparison. Didn't it have a, a lawnmower engine? It was like an ur- I don't even know if it was an urban legend, but they always I think it was built on a Corvette frame. But yeah, it, it did have a, a small engine in it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that Batman 66 Batmobile, which was a concept Lincoln Town Car. <laughs> That's the one you want for cruising, baby. Batman, the original Lincoln lawyer. <laughs> I I used to love the Batmobile from some of the Golden Age comics with the giant Batman face on the front. Like, it was like a coupe. Oh. And it had, like, this enormous bat face on it. Like, how would you not see that coming down the street? Anyways, let's move on to our next poll. Uh, the next poll, uh, this coincided with our review of Valerian. So we did best Luc Besson film to watch on a weekend. Uh, La Femme Nakita, Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element, or Lucy. Okay. And, and... Uh, fifth, fifth Element cleaned up with a nice plurality of the vote. Leon the Professional coming in second place at 26%. I don't think there was a bad one in the bunch. I mean, you get early Natalie Portman in The Professional fifth element like that movie's just bonkers like there's so much fun like no matter yeah, what you, you pick it's a good choice scar scar joe lucy oh yeah i i voted for fifth element just simply because you like outfits made out of tape i do and i like bruce willis i'm still <laughs> a big bruce willis fan like i most bruce willis movies i will watch like he's in my, at least my top three action heroes i like the fact that he's bald he doesn't care that he's bald like he's got that 
working Joe kind of thing going on. I dig it. So for him to be in that bat shit crazy movie was kind of a nice dichotomy. Crazy stuff and then working man's man, Bruce Willis, hanging out there. Works for me. Anyways, what was number three? So the next one was for our May the 4th Be With You Star Wars extravaganza show. Best Star Wars fighter on the Rebel side. So what letter are you? Are you an A-wing, a B-wing, an X-wing, or a Y-wing? This was also a landslide, right? It was, but I think because the Y-wing and the B-wing were only released very late in their toy run in Return of the Jedi. A-wing was released... After the movies were done, so right. almost nobody got the A-Wing, which is why it, it goes for ridiculous prices on eBay. People, it's just plastic. <laughs> well, no, you you asked Chad about things just being plastic. He's not a Star Wars fan, but he'll tell you. Toys are toys. And, That's right. But I, but I do agree with you that, at the very least, the Y-Wing... Should have been released like sometime after Star Wars, between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Like I think they missed the boat not having a Y wing, and I think the Y wing would have been more popular had there been a toy in that original line. But when you only have an X wing and a Tie Fighter, what else is supposed to do? Look at comic books. Everybody knows X's are cool. <laughs> that is true. Well, did anything ever even come close, J.A., to the X-Wing in this poll? The A-Wing at 19%, which really surprised me. The B-Wing w- was third, and the Y-Wing was fourth. So uh, oh, Nobody likes the bombers. But no, you love that B-Wing. It was the best the best toy. It had the, the rotating cockpit. I, I won't lie, I voted for the A-Wing, honestly. Just simply because it seems like the easiest to fly? I don't know, the X-Wing seems like, I don't know, you have to raise and lower the struts too much. I'm just it's like, eh. space. You don't have to worry about, like, aerodynamics or anything. Alright, what about our, our fourth poll here? Going with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, we had uh, Best Wizard, not named Strange. And this was Wizard from all genres. We tried to not just do comic books, so... Gandalf, Hermione Granger from the Harry Potter series, Yoda from Star Wars, and Willow Rosenberg from Buffy. Seeing how many 90s Buffy fans we had. I was surprised with that. Yeah, but but we had some people come out and, and vote for Willow. Initially, when I saw Willow first, I was just like, the Ron Howard movie? And then I was just like, and then I saw the last name, and I was like, oh, okay, never mind. That's going to be the Buffy people. So it's going to be, yeah, I get you. What did you vote for, Chad? Uh, I, I live in a house full of Potterheads, and so we were all Hermione. <laughs> okay. Uh, I voted for Yoda, just simply because he was the first wizard I knew. And his space wizardry is still the best. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Yoda won, though, J.A., right? No, no, Gandalf, 41%, with uh, Hermione, Yoda, and Willow all splitting up their votes, getting about 20% each. Ah, uh, see? You shall not this poll without voting for Gandalf. It's the natural choice, I guess. I was trying to think if there was any other old wizardy folks that, like, I don't know, even would compare with Gandalf, but I couldn't think of them. No, uh, Dumbledore. Yeah, that's true, Dumbledore. I was thinking the old uh, the old dungeon master from that old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. I love that guy. He was awesome. Uh, the sorceress from Castle Grayskull. 
Why wasn't she on this list? She's a great magic user. Chris Angel, mind freak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what was our fifth and final poll for this recap? Uh, this went along with Persepolis. We were looking more for a recommendation uh, since Persepolis was a bit more of a serious type book. Uh, what graphic novel that we hadn't reviewed could people suggest? There were no wrong answers on this one, uh, but we did have They Called Us Enemy, uh, Year of the Rabbit, Mouse, and Hey Kiddo. And it seems that our public really wants us to look at Mouse because Mouse yeah. did win a lot of the vote on that one. Right. And I think rightfully so. I mean, you're right that none of those picks are bad picks. And I, f I hope that on this show we get to cover all of them eventually because they all sound really great. Some of them I've read before. Some of them I haven't. But yeah, if we're a comic book podcast, I don't think we get out of this business without at least having an episode talking about Mouse. Right, guys? Absolutely. And to tie it back to Persepolis, that's another one of those books as soon as people started banning stuff. You know, Mouse is, is, you know, on the chopping block frequently. That'd be a great one to explore to maybe take some of that stigma away. Right. It, yeah. Absolutely. Look at it and, and, and why, you know, why is it getting banned? Not just that it's getting banned, but why and, and, and you know, why that's a bad thing. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Maybe we can get uh, Nicole to come back for that episode. She likes those serious ones. So, yes, <laughs> we will promise by the end of this summer, we will cover Mouse on this particular program. Probably in August because we've got an extra week that week. Anyways, uh, but yeah. Every week, you can make sure that you vote over at our Twitter account, at Last Comic Shop, in our weekly polls, and that we hope that you do. Coming up next... We've got a review of Ms. Marvel, plus a little bit of talk about the upcoming TV show. But that's all after this commercial break, so stay tuned. Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the fictional battle podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on thebuildsman.com. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Okay, and we're back. It's time now for the Read Pile Review, and ready to talk about Ms. Marvel, the comic book, not the TV show, though we might go into a bit about the show that comes out tomorrow on Disney Plus for all you addicted MCU stream heads. But <laughs> for now, we are talking about the original comic book, and who did this? Who did this thing? Uh, so it was written by G. Willow Wilson with artists Adrian Alfana for issues 1 through 5 and 8 through 11 and Jacob Wyatt on issues 6 and 7. And we also snuck in in the collection that we read the Marvel Point One with art by Salvador LaRocca. Andrew. 
tell us what happened. What is the story? Who is Ms. Marvel? Ah, Ms. Marvel. Kamal Khan! She is an inhuman. This is during the time when Terrigen Mists went everywhere. And if you happen to be a descendant of folks that the Kree had experimented on originally uh, when they came to Earth a long, 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 long time ago, if you were a descendant of one of those and the Terrigen Mist hit you, pow, you blew up with powers. And evidently Kamala Khan was one of those folks. And she's walking home from a party because she snuck out because her parents wouldn't let her. And she's feeling all rough. And then she she put into her little cocoon and she came out and she looked like the original, not the original, no, the second Captain Marvel costume that Carol Danvers had. You know, the one with the sash and everything. And uh, it's a story from there that's basically very similar to the original Spider-Man run. In which you have a young person that's been blessed with awesome powers, uh, that's trying to keep a secret identity, trying to balance that with her life, with her, with her parents, trying to balance that with all of her responsibilities with school and things. And she gets a really interesting villain in this guy named the Inventor, who's a big giant parrot thing, <laughs> which I love. Uh, and yeah, he's using kids as batteries. And she's got to bust that up. She's got a really great power set. Honestly, it's a really great power set. And I'm kind of on the side of G. Willow Wilson, who recently came out about the new show. And I guess evidently the show that's going to be debuting tomorrow, they give her all these cosmic powers. And G. Willow Wilson was very specific in saying, like, look, when we were developing Ms. Marvel, we could have given her anything. We could have given her any power that she wanted. But we decided to specifically go with these awesome kind of growth powers, shrinking powers, making my hand in big end. It made her separate and different than a lot of other characters in the Marvel Universe. And they feel like that's that's going away. Right. And it's definitely a valid point. But here's the thing. If you saw that in real life, it's really gross. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to see giant embiggened parts. You're going to give me nightmares. But uh, I, I genuinely think that's why they changed the power set. Just because for visual appeal... Although I do worry that it's turning into one of those CGI Green Lantern type power sets and you might go too far the other way where it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's not gross anymore. It just doesn't matter. So we'll see. No, I think I think they just went with the cosmic way because in humans show bombs so badly that they didn't want to be associated with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's some people online saying, like, don't even bother watching. Just watch the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.s episodes with the Inhumans. It's much better. There's a big subsection of Marvel fandom that loves Quake. You can't talk bad about Quake. If you say anything bad about Daisy Johnson, they will fight you. They will take you out in the parking lot and punch you in the face with a sock full of quarters. They, they love that show. There's like a there's a whole subsection of Agents of Shields people out there where they love that shit. They love it. They're like more of this, more Coulson. I'm like, <laughs> I was I sad know. they took him out of the uh, the MCU. Yeah, they they took him out, and then they were like, yeah, the show doesn't have anything to do with anything anymore, and you can do whatever you want with the show because nobody watches it, and it became like Deep Space right. Nine. You can just do whatever you want. See, it's the same people. I guarantee the same people that liked uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. love Deep Space Nine. They're like, I love it. Give me more of that shit. All about it. Anyways, go on. Before we move on, you left out the elephant in the room that uh, has caused much consternation. 
amongst uh, comic fans that don't like diversity and don't like things that are changing and that Ms. Marvel is a superhero from New Jersey. Oh! How can we learn to root from someone from New Jersey? It's almost impossible. It is! Really? Why would you defend that place? It's awful. (laughs) I've never driven through there. There's a reason why they call it the Garden State. Because parking lot was taken already. (laughs) (laughs) But to Chad's point, you know, one of the things that is great about Kamala Khan is the fact that she is Muslim. But at the same time, they don't like, it's not like just thrown in your face all the time. Like, again, I, I, I don't understand that, like, why people got all fussy about this. Because at the end of the day... It's just like a part of her background. It's it's no different than anybody else's background. And, you know, characters come from all strands of life. And it's just just a part of their, their backstory. And you're just like, okay, this is an interesting wrinkle to this particular character and her, and her journey as she becomes a superhero. But she's, she's more American teenager than anything else. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is we, we've read so many books of comic companies trying to shoehorn in characters either for representation purposes or for marketing purposes or whatever but this is a character that's done the right way you know you get compelling stories and it is the american experience it is a teenager dealing with the hardships of being a teenager you know whether she's pakistani whether she's from new jersey at the end of the day this is how people learn to accept other cultures even even jersey ones <laughs> uh, i won't lie before this week i only read bits and pieces of ms marvel uh in fact most of my ms marvel experiences either came from either cartoons that my kids were watching because again kamala khan after she was developed she was kind of like spider gwen she was like the young hip character to include in your your, your cartoons they brought her into like the the Avengers cartoon, you know, and tag teamed her with like Vision and Black Panther and a lot of other awesome characters that they were trying to get out there after, you know, Captain America and Thor and Iron Man, the ones that everybody knew. So she was everywhere. So I read that. I read Champions, which I saw a lot of Ms. Marvel in, but that was more of a team book. So like I never really got to touch base with her as as a character like this. And I think the most interesting part about her these first couple issues is I didn't realize she had a power that was shape-shifting that eventually went away. That's not a power set that they talk about in a lot of other things. Like, they don't talk about it in the cartoons I watched or even in Champions. I don't think that she had a lot of that shape-shifting ability. I'm talking real shape-shifting, like, completely changing. And it's kind of neat how somebody, you know, their powers grow and evolve. And it kind of, again, reminded me of Spider-Man. And some of, like, the the power sets as the series progressed, how they like refined what his powers actually were. Right. Um, and, and not and just Spider-Man, but the best Spider-Man, the early Spider-Man, those first 38, maybe even up to the first hundred issues where they really, the character came into its own and you really get to see a character from the beginning develop into something interesting somebody with pathos somebody that you know as the the readers are discovering so is she in this great all ages tale that like we talked about at the at the top of the show it's so hard for companies to do this and to put out a great all ages book that anybody can pick up and read and g willow wilson and uh adrian alfano they, they hit it out of the park here with this one yeah 
I don't want to go from all the gushing to, yeah, but Wolverine looked like hot shit. (laughs) 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 All right, well, let's uh... let's talk about that. The elephant in the room. There were two issues of this particular series that were drawn by a different artist. And I think J.A. and I agreed that it wasn't our favorite issues among the collection. The way it was drawn and the way it was told, it wasn't told from sort of the classic quintessential superhero comic book stylings. You know, you didn't have sort of hyper-masculine and hyper-feminine characters. The It was a bit more sketchy. It felt to me like I was reading a cartoon from the funny pages. And that was great for most of the story, I felt, because it was an origin story. You're meeting all these new characters. What took me out was when they introduced Wolverine, because you're used to seeing Wolverine drawn in a way that's, you know, a bit more comic booky, I guess, for lack of a better adjective. And suddenly he's not comic booky. He's kind of blocky and for better or worse, sort of he's got a dad bod. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say that's not my Wolverine, but it, it just took me out of the story a bit. I was like, whoa. Well, one, keep in mind, this is Wolverine where he does not have his healing factor. And uh, he's got to be how old now? And uh, listen, <laughs> you have one cupcake. You're going to see it in that suit. Those are tight suits. And so without that healing factor, he's in trouble. But also that was a, a terrible costume for Wolverine in this one. Where he has all that padding and stuff. It just didn't fit with the, the character. I agree there. Right. Now, I I won't lie that I, I liked some of the layouts in those two particular issues. Like there was once where they were going up through the sewers and they showed all the rooms that they were going through. I thought that was interesting. But compared to the Adrian Alfano art, which I thought was perfect for this series, like it's kind of weird to say, but I thought like everybody looked like they were crafted out of clay. You could see like the lines in people's hair and how it was layered and textured and Oh gosh, I loved it. And it and it just it just fit for a book that was about young people. It had such a young vibe to it. And so like to go from that to any other artist would have been a departure that I would have not liked, but like I didn't feel like the style matched at all. Sometimes you get that when you they switch artists, they get somebody that's kind of similar. This seemed like a left turn for me. And so those Clear issues, although really good, and kind of show like Wolverine doesn't like anybody. So the fact that he likes Kamala is like, yeah, that's nice. I didn't like the art. I just didn't like it. Yeah, I'll stick up for it. It was it was much more cartoony and it was something different. And if a character like Kamala Khan is gonna have staying power, like they have to be able to show like a range there. They have to be able to be adaptable with different artists. I just think so much of it was caught up in that terrible Wolverine costume. Like, everything else yeah. is solid. Like the the alligator monster was great. I thought all the things with Kamala Khan were great. Like big eyes and the you know the over the top expressions and like I thought all that was fine. It wasn't as good as uh, the primary artist, but it was definitely passable in my opinion. I didn't have any qualms with it. Well, I will say this, too. Uh, one nice thing about Kamala Khan's journey, and it also kind of harkens back to those original issues of Spider-Man, is she really got a great supporting cast in this, especially her buddy Bruno, uh, who ends up being her her man in the chair, her guy Friday. 
again, their back and forth, their chemistry that they had in this particular book was really great. And again, harkened back to some of those relationships that I fell in love with when I was reading comics books as a young kid. You, you always have to have a strong supporting cast in order to like the hero. You need your Jimmy Olsons. You need your uh, Mary Jane Watsons, Ben Urich's and your Foggy Nelsons. You just need them. And and I think that she had them in spades. Her dad was a great character. Her mom was a great character. Oh. They were just they were one good. Of, one of the things that I I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't go the inhuman angle, or appears they haven't gone the inhuman angle with the TV show, is that does that mean we're not going to get Lockjaw? Because Lockjaw in this book was awesome. Yeah, Lockjaw is always awesome. Who can go wrong with exactly? How can you go wrong with a giant dog that? that goes really fast and transports himself. Everyone comments on his size. Only one person comments on the fact that he has a tuning fork on his head. <laughs> I never understood Lockjaw. Is he an actual real dog or is he like an inhuman person that turned into a dog? Like, I never understand that. I'm but, pretty uh, sure the book is he's not a dog. And he just looks like one. Yeah. But I will say this, that it's instantly relatable. Because again, if you're going to have an all ages book, what's more relatable than teaming dogs with kids? Dogs and kids go together like peanut butter and jelly. So, like, gosh, that you know, to have that loyal pooch by your side, that's how you write comics. And it's not that hard. That's the amazing thing about Ms. Marvel. I'm, as I'm reading this, and I'm thinking back to, like, the comic books that I grew up with, I'm like, G. Willow Wilson, it's not like she reinvented the wheel here. She did a great job with a tradition that you can find everywhere. Again, it doesn't matter what kind of story subject you're dealing with, whether the the, the person's from Jersey or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it is because not a lot of people do it, but she's showing that, like, you can write really engaging stories that will appeal to everybody. And you just t- talk about kids and dogs. But that's what, that's what makes this so great, because apparently it is really hard. Otherwise, every other teen reboot would be successful. <laughs> And it, it's such a combination of, you know, the themes and, you know, you've got Kamala. She has to worry about her parents. She has to worry about her brother. Those are all fleshed out so wonderfully. And then, too, so many artists struggle with teenagers. You know, you can't make kids just look like tiny adults. And really, the art throughout the course of this book, everything fits so well. And I think it was a really good idea to make the the big bad guy this bird cockatiel type thing as opposed to like in a you know a, a human adult. It it made everything sort of fantastical, I guess. So while it felt like there was um heavy stakes, the stakes didn't feel like unimaginable. So yeah. you could un- you could see that, oh, this is something that a 16-year-old girl could actually deal with, as opposed to, like, you know, throwing Peter Parker into space to fight Thanos, which, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know I agree. I think the villain choice was perfect. I think the fact that they populated all of the inventors' minions were just other teenagers that had maybe either lost their way or felt useless or dejected or thrown away by other adults and adult society. I think that that worked. There's so many things that worked for, for me in this book. And we'll talk about more of those with our ratings coming up right after these messages. So stay tuned for more of The Last Comic Shop and more Kamal Khan. We love her. 
Welcome to Making Nerds Cringe with Matt and Thad. And we're a podcast that retells comics' greatest stories. Poorly? Yeah, not too good. Well, we're out to have fun. That's true. It's full of uh, adult material. That's right. Shenanigans. That is correct, man. Inappropriate humor. You betcha. And a whole lot of other stuff that we're struggling to not say because it'll be bleeped out. That's right. Hey, give us a quick example. Well, for one, Galactus gets in an argument with a cashier. Oh, yeah. I remember Dr. That Doom episode. becomes a pimp. Oh. The Juggalos appear in a couple of episodes. That's right. They keep popping up. Why? Tune in to find out. That's right. And don't be rude to people who make your food. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. TikTok, and, well, it's under Making Nerds Cringe, every single one of them. So please, give us a follow, or we will follow you home and notify yourself when we release things, because that's what a good person would do. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we try to be flexible in our rating scale, but... At the end of the day, it just comes down to a one out of four scale. Nobody is embiggening this to 10 or 20 or whatever. The JA would have a field day here. One out of four. That's what we work with. So, JA, what is our one out of four scale for this week? Well, after a whole day of embiggening and fighting, you need to recharge. And if you're Kamala Khan, what do you recharge with? You go out and you have a hero. So one out of four heroes. All right. I love it. My favorite sandwiches of all time. Like, I, I love a good one. Wait. You think it's not a sandwich? Yeah. It's a sandwich. It's, it's, it's meat. It's a debate. It's meat and lettuce, and it's on a piece of bread. It's pita, pita. bread. Oh, oh pita it's bread. Pita is, pita is made out of the same stuff that bread is made out of. What 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 what? This isn't a hot so, dog so, so, debate. Wait, so, oh wait, yeah, I was gonna say, but hot dogs. Right? So we're not going extension. down this road. We've got a, a fried chicken episode coming up at the end of this month. We're not going down this road with hot dogs. Right. No, it is a sandwich. People can vote on it. It'll be the poll this week. Is is a hero a sandwich? And I guarantee people will come out of the woodwork to support me. Well, Anyways, I'm Chad, about this. I, I am. And we will discuss this at some later date. You give me your rating for Ms. Marvel, sir. How many oh, Euro sandwiches are you giving it? See how I stuck that in? Yeah, I, uh, this is under protest. I was going to talk about, we have a gas station that serves some of the best gyros in town. That's true. It took me two years to try it because I was like, oh, it's, it's coming out of a gas station. I don't know if I want that. But no, it's not good. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, no, this book we've been gushing about it the whole time. It's one of those rare situations where everything just clicks. And it's funny to me that the character of Miss Marvel wasn't a G. Willow Wilson creation. Like, it actually came about because uh, the editor on the book, Donna Amana, was telling stories to uh, one of my favorite comic book professionals, uh, Stephen Wacker. The guy behind Spider-Man Brand New Day and the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, DC's 52, the original 52 event series, were all Stephen Wacker ideas. But she was telling him stories about her youth, and he was laughing hilariously at, you know, at the stuff that she was going through as, as a teenager. And so that was the impetus of the character. They, they talked to G. Willow Wilson about it, and she just picked up the ball and ran with it. And it's just so fun to see that alchemy of, of people taking that small germ of an idea of, you know, taking this 
a Pakistani girl and living her life and just doing it so well. I, I, I don't know what to say. It's it's always hard to talk about the things that are done the way they're supposed to be. Like, I feel like this is how this book is supposed to be. If we had more books of this quality, like, it's four stars. I love it. I think everyone, whether you're six or 60, could benefit from reading this book. You'll be entertained. Your heart will become embiggened watching people uh, fight a, a chicken man, which is also good Cockatiel. Cockatiel. It was a cockatiel. Yeah. Bad guy. Yeah. I'm going to go next. Because I, I think I'm, I'm going to surprise people by not giving it a 4 out of 4. I'm going to give it a 3.75. Uh, and the reason why I'm getting a slightly lower rating is because of those two issues. Not drawn by Adrian Alfano. That, that really did bother me. Like, I got a collection of 11 issues, and I loved that art so much that... Again, I get to I get to Chad's point that you have to have other people draw Kamala if she's going to take off. But I, I just I just didn't like those two particular issues, even though I, I kind of like the content of the story. And again, I like the layout. I just there was something about that that just it was a left turn for me. And and if I'm I'm reading a collection, I got to be honest uh, about my feelings. And so although this is a wonderful book, and I would highly recommend anybody pick up these issues. And read them because you will be entertained. And I, I feel like I don't think they're going to do it as well with the TV show. I just don't. I have a feeling in my gut it's not going to be as good as the magic that happens in these particular issues. It might be close, but I don't think it's going to be as good. So I would recommend that you pick up the comic book and you read it. J.A.? Yeah, I've got to give it a four. Um, I can see why it was nominated for five Eisner Awards. I love, and we didn't really get into it, the fact that before she becomes hit with the Terrigen Mist, she's a big fan of, of superheroes. And she walks around like with a Captain America t-shirt and, and you know, going through school, just dealing with being a Muslim American teenager in Jersey and, and the whole d- dichotomy between sort of being a modern American teenager and, and having an immigrant family who wants her to... Never talk to a boy and graduate with a law and or medical degree and then marry somebody from Karachi. So I love that when she gets her powers, she's relating how she handles all the situations as a superhero to how she has seen people fight. Oh, I finally get a bad guy I get to go up to. Or when she meets Wolverine for the first time, she's totally fangirling over him. Oh, look at that flip. So athletic. <laughs> so I love those little bits. It's 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 fun. And it's one of those things that it's very good for all ages. I love that her costume has uh, these nods and accents to the original Miss Marvel, but also at the same time to her heritage. It's sort of a play on the Charwal Kameez, uh, the traditional South Asian dress. But then she's also got like the 1940 style uh, domino mask. So she's straight out of like Green Hornet. Yeah. It's just great. The whole thing. As you said, Andrew, you know, I really love her power set. It's so unique. It's so interesting. It leaves a lot of room for the artist to interpret and, and play with. Uh, I love, like, when they're they're in the sewer, she ex- she embiggens her legs so she can carry Wolverine and he won't get wet while they're walking through the middle of the sewer. <laughs> so I worry that the TV show will be a bit sort of like... Uh, 
dare I say it, uh, Green Lantern-esque, but, you know, sort of cosmic powers, and here's a big blue fist coming at you. Yeah. It's tough just because everything here was so genuine. Like, it all felt like it belonged. And so, Mm -hmm. to mess with the formula even a little bit, it's like, ooh, we'll see. Not not only belonged, but it it, it developed naturally, too. It didn't feel like suddenly, oh, you know, you had this MacGuffin come in, or you had some... um, She's not a, what do they call a Mary Sue, right? Right. She doesn't suddenly save the world. Right. Plus the fact that, like, in the book, they kind of link her a little bit to, to Captain Marvel. I mean, it's obviously a nod to the original Carol Danvers, but, like, she doesn't even hang out with Carol, honestly, other than, like, a, I guess a dream sequence or whatever. I worry that in this TV show, because eventually she's going to be in the next Captain Marvel movie, that it's going to be overshadowed by all of yeah. that. They're like, going to force it. Right. They are going to force that into the, into the narrative too much. Like, oh, she loves Captain Marvel. Oh, she loves Carol. And it's not necessary. It'll, it'll just end up coming off very fake. But we'll see. It'll come out tomorrow. Maybe it'll be awesome. And, and, and we don't have to worry about all the Brie Larson haters coming at us. Because well, you know, apparently Brie Larson is a... Or, or People maybe, don't like her. I was going to say, Miss Marvel was a controversial figure, too, at, at certain points. And so, uh, hope springs eternal. And we can yeah. only hope that they, they do something that's that's just as good, that feels just as, as genuine as, uh, as what we had here today. Right. You're either going to get something great, or you're going to get the Inhumans again. <laughs> Those are, that's, that's what we got here, I guess. But I will say this. Is there any more iconic cover than that first issue's cover with her standing there with the T-shirt and the and the scarf and she's got the rings on? Oh, my gosh. I, every single time I see that, it's got such youthful energy to it. My God, it makes me feel like I'm 16 again. Like, it is so gorgeous. Uh, and you just see half of her face. Like, it is, it's one of my favorite covers of all time. Well, speaking of that cover, it initially reminded me of the Peter David uh, Supergirl run from way back when. But even that, like, I just feel like there's something about Kamala Khan that is so much more authentic and it's not exploitative. It's a it's a celebration and it's just it's it's done right. Yeah, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's just done the right way. Well, let's talk about some other things that were done right with our recommendations. Yes, these are other comic books that you can pick up at your local comic book shop. In addition to Ms. Marvel Volume 1, which is what we read today. It's a collection of the first 11 issues plus the point one. I hated when they had those point ones. I, hate <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I was just like, wait a second. My pool pile's thicker than... Oh, they had a point one. We threw it in. Ah! Ah, do I need it? Ah, and then they would have, sometimes they'd have up to a point five, And I was just like, what? That's like, j- just call it a limited series at that point. You, Anyways, let's talk about my recommendation first. And it is a limited series. It was released last year. And it deals with kind of a reboot of another character that Marvel debuted in the 70s with Man-Thing. Yes, uh, most people think of him as just that other guy that's like Swamp Thing, but Marvel's got him. But I love Man Thing. I've loved the original Steve Gerber run. And I've loved Man Thing ever since. And last year, three issue run with a lot of interesting characters. One issue was about the Avengers and Man Thing. One was about Spider Man and the Man Thing, and the other one was about X Men and the Man Thing. I, I don't know how you could team them up with any more important people 
in the universe to be like, hey, look at man thing. We've had them with X-Men and Spider-Man and the Avengers. You know all those folks. Uh, but it was called Curse of the Man Thing. But you got great artists like Francesco Mobili and Marco Fellina, the wonderful Andrea Bricardo on the X-Men issue. But really, it's just a story about this girl named the Harrower. But she takes over Man-Thing and makes him turn evil and he creates all these pods. And then he subconsciously reaches out to the superhero community and picks people out to bring him in. And you get to meet more of Ted Salas, who was the original person that became Man-Thing when he died in an accident after trying to create a super soldier serum. And um, it turns out that he sold his soul to Belasco. So J.A. loves that shit. That's all that magic stuff there. But yeah, that's why the X-Men eventually come in. And it's just, it's an interesting tale. And it, it it gives you a little more depth uh, to Man-Thing that I haven't seen in a while. Now Man-Thing can absorb you into his body and take you to some dream realm where you live out your greatest fears. It's great. It's three issues. You'll be in and out. Pick it up. It's wonderful stuff uh, featuring one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. J.A., what's your recommendation? So I'm recommending something that is also a little bit dreamy, uh, more magical realism. This is The Many Deaths of Lila Starr by Ram V with great art by Philippe Andrade. And the idea of this is that death is called upstairs by the big man and then fired because humanity is about to discover immortality and therefore death is out of a job. So in the first issue, (laughs) death goes upstairs and meets uh, the head man and he goes, yep, you're fired. We don't need you anymore. Thank you for your work. Security will see you out. And so she is sent down to earth as a human right about the time that this baby who's going to discover immortality is born. So then the whole story is she's going around trying to find this baby, deciding if she wants to kill it or not. And and then the baby becomes a boy because she can't kill it as a baby because it's easy to kill somebody when you're deaf. But now that she's not deaf anymore, now that she's a human, she's struggling with the whole idea of taking a life because she's got humanity. So... She's trying to find out if she can permanently reverse course, you know, change future history so that uh, she can get her job back, essentially. <laughs> wow! And it takes place in Mumbai, and it's just, it's it's this great five-issue story that's whimsical and human and humane at the same time. So I highly recommend it. And it's also up for Eisner's, right? It's up for, I think, Best Limited Series uh, for the many deaths of uh, Lila Starr. So again, we're going to be talking about Eisner's on a later show uh, and the Eisner nominees. So yeah, you should check it out before the San Diego Comic-Con when they'll release the winners. Chad, your recommendation? Okay, so I'm going to go back to when Miss Marvel was released. It was actually a really uh, fertile time for Marvel, at least in my eyes. Like 2014, 2015, leading up to Secret Wars, there were a ton of great books out there, uh, whether it were things like uh, Squirrel Girl or Howard the Duck or Power Man and Iron Fist. And like so much of the Marvel Now stuff was really great. But since we're in that Ms. Marvel territory, uh, I just want to talk about the Captain Marvel book that came out at the time, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by David Lopez. 
And we mentioned the Brie Larson movies earlier and how there was kind of a mixed reception. And even I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Brie Larson movies because I didn't think they captured the spirit that uh, the Kelly Sue DeConnick comics had, where Captain Marvel was more than just a, a powerful MacGuffin. Like she was an interesting character with a quirky personality, and it was very akin to almost like the Guardians of the Galaxy characters from the MCU. And so in that series that uh, came out in 2015, you know, she's off in space, she's encountering the Flurkin, uh, you know, and you see some really gross stuff that reminds me why I'll never own a cat. Uh, but uh, in addition to the Miss Marvel that worked, the Captain Marvel stuff worked as well. Check it out. All right. And we hope that you check out more of The Last Comic Shop all this summer because we've got brand new episodes all summer long. So make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe. And you can do that by going out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's our terrific website where we have all the links to all those podcasting platforms that you can find our show on every single week. Plus a link to YouTube because, again, we're going to comic cons and all kinds of stuff all this summer. We're opening up action figures that we're buying cheap on clearance before the new stuff comes out. (laughs) We're buying comic books, you know, going to comic book shops and things like that. So, yeah, lots of bonus content over at our YouTube channel. And again, check that out by going to the link at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. You can also find us on social media like Twitter and uh, Instagram at Last Comic Shop. Where you can find things like our weekly polls, or what we're picking up at the comic shops, or uh, little daily factoids, or Golden Age covers to put you to sleep at night here. But uh, all that and more is on our social media, and if you need help finding that, once again, you can always go back to the home base where they can find what else, J.A.? Well, we have a link to our merch store. We've got our special summertime t-shirt. Yeah! Get some nice colors, some nice palm trees. Get yourself a pina colada, maybe a margarita, Cuba Libre. Put some rum punch into your last comic book mug. Everyone will think it's coffee and you're all good. (laughs) Get yourselves some merch just in time for the summer months. And while we might be the last comic shop podcast, we don't actually want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to head out to the local shops near you where you can find things like Miss Marvel, so you can celebrate this Disney Plus stuff that's happening right now. Uh, or you could find Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Or maybe you want to go and look in the recent racks for the many deaths of Lila Starr. Or even The Curse of the Man-Thing by Steve Orlando. All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop. Don't know where that is? You can always use the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com. All right, and we hope that you come back next week for more of The Last Comic Shop. Until then, I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And remember to stay safe, stay cool this summer, and remember that everything is better in Biggin. You know us. Biggin! It almost sounds like my favorite character from Wings, Roy Biggins! It's a dumb Biggin sandwich! What? No bacon sandwich? Is a gyro and bacon sandwich? I'm still. It's a sandwich, damn it! We're gonna put that as a poll. Is a taco a sandwich? That's different. There's a hot dog a sandwich.
the last comic shop was. A 2022 Black Angus production.